Good morning to all of you out there. It's good to see your, your faces this morning. Um, for any of you who may be newer in joining us, uh, throughout this fall, we are giving our attention and our time um, to, to focusing on how do we cultivate a life of prayer? How do, how do we make that part of, of who we are, not just here on Sunday, but our, our rhythms, our routines, just a growing relationship and dimension of, of our lives? We're working our way through a book as we do that called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. If you don't have the book or you want to know more about it, how to, how to get a copy, um, feel free to, to see me at the back door afterwards. Um, it's, it's been a great sort of companion conversation partner as we do this together as a church. But we are, we're better than halfway through this, this study, this series with one another. We'll finish right around Thanksgiving. And as I said at the outset back in September, my, my hope, my prayer is that we're growing in two ways throughout this, this study. One is that we're, we're finding or discovering new practices, new ways to pray. You know, maybe, maybe creative um, outlets for prayer in our lives so that we're growing in the practice of prayer, but also that we would be growing in our desire for prayer, to pray. That we would, we would see it as this incredible gift and treasure uh, and way of, of drawing us into God's presence and, and to participate in his goodness, more of who he is. And I shared at the, the very beginning uh, in the first message this, this metaphor or this image of, of prayer being... Um, like a, like a beautiful place, a refreshing place, a renewing place that we can go to with frequency. I shared with you how there's a, there's a beautiful pond uh, or, or marsh area right across the street here in Jericho Center. But it's, it's just hidden enough, the trails aren't clearly marked back there, that most people don't even know it's there. Even the people that know it's there sort of forget it's there. It's a secret place in Jericho Center. And I sometimes, even though I work right across the street here, I'll, I'll forget it's there for long stretches of time. But then every, every so often, I'll, I'll need a break in the middle of, of a work day or a work week. And I'll take the, the 10 or 15 or 20 minutes it takes to, to walk over there and stretch my legs. And when I do that, I'm, I'm always encouraged. I always come back feeling, you know, my head's a little clearer, my thinking's clearer. I'm, I'm encouraged. Often I take that time to pray. And I often think, why don't I do that more often? I shared that with you back in September. Why, why does it take me weeks sometimes to remember that that place exists? Well, I, I hope, you know, we, we talked about that being like the, the invitation we have to pray, the place of prayer in our lives. I hope that you have found yourself over these past six or seven weeks accessing prayer more frequently, going to that place um, with, with desire making new discoveries in it, exploring it, being renewed, being encouraged in new ways in prayer. And I've, I've heard from some of you how that's happening. You've shared stories with me about, about little things that are changing in your prayer life and that that's been a blessing to you. Um, it's been a discovery to you. But if, it, if it's not, if, if most of what you hear on Sunday mornings sort of stays here and is, is mostly sort of left untouched throughout the week, then I'd, I'd gently invite you to consider what's keeping you from going there. What's holding you back? What's the hesitation? What distraction? What sense of, 
of busyness or urgency is keeping you from finding time to go to a place that God has designed to, to bless us, to heal us, to hear us, to speak to us? What would allow you to take maybe a first step this week? And just, just consider that as, as you think about going into the week ahead. Right? Knowing about prayer is really different from prayer happening in our lives, in real life, in real time. Right? We need the desire, we need the time to practice it. And so, so sort of keeping that in mind and, and with that encouragement, we're going to move into uh, another dimension, another piece of, of our prayer life this morning. We've looked at prayers of adoration, We've talked about prayers of confession. We've talked about uh, prayers of intercession last week, the idea of, of coming between and, and bringing those we love to God on, on behalf of them and their needs. And each week we've had distinguished teachers to, to help us understand those kinds of prayers. We've had prophets, we've had kings, we've had apostles. Last week we had a, a noble band of friends to teach us about what, what prayer looks like. But today in Jesus' teaching, he gives us a, a teacher or an example, a prayer, that we might actually find a little bit off-putting. Right? Someone we might find a, a bit annoying, someone who makes us even a little bit uncomfortable in their behavior. Today, Jesus says the person he wants us to learn about prayer from is someone who's up way past their bedtime, and who has gone out into the neighborhood and is knocking on their neighbor's doors at midnight, asking for things. And somehow Jesus says, this is a person I want to teach you about prayer through. This is, this is a person that I want you to study when you think about prayer. So let me pray for us as we open up to that story in Luke 11 this morning. Jesus, you are um, the one who intercedes for us. You're the one who, who speaks the word of God into our lives, but also hears our words in reply. I thank you for the stories you have given us, the images you have given us, the means you have given us to pray. I pray this morning as we encounter your word, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Lord, make us aware of who we are praying to. Help us to consider the door on which we knock this morning as we pray. And it's in, it's in your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. So this is uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 5. If you have your Bibles open to that passage, you'll notice that this is right after Luke's presentation of the Lord's Prayer. Start of Luke chapter 11, Jesus' disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, you know, John's disciples have ways to pray. Other people have ways to pray. How are we supposed to pray? Teach us. And so Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer there. And then immediately after that, he, he gives them these series of parables or stories. Remember that one of the lines in that Lord's Prayer, that way of praying, Right, is, is to pray to our Heavenly Father to give us our daily bread, things 
we need from him. And so then we're given this story. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. Suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Jesus said, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. This, Jesus says, is how we should pray. This is, this is an extended part of Jesus' instruction about a life of prayer. But we probably need a minute to let this story soak in. How is this supposed to teach us about prayer? Well, the crisis in this particular story, the, the plot tension, is that someone has received an unexpected guest late at night, and when they arrive, they have nothing to feed them, right? You could imagine the first century in Palestine. It was not all that unusual for people to travel during the night because of, of conditions, right? Heat and, and, and weather. And so someone could ostensibly arrive quite late in the evening. You didn't know they were coming, or maybe you thought they were coming tomorrow. And this in this case, there's, there's no food. The, the bread, whatever was made for dinner, has been consumed. There won't be a, a fire and a stove fired up until the next day. So what are you going to do? Now that might seem like a little problem to you or I, sort of inconvenient, but we would probably just say, well, go to bed, I'll feed you breakfast in the morning. But if you've ever traveled in the Middle East or a Semitic culture, you'll know that hospitality is way up here on the list of cultural values. Refusing hospitality to anyone, whether they're your best friend or they're a total stranger, if they show up at your door, in your place of business, in your community, right? it's your obligation, it's your duty to give them a cup of tea, to give them a meal to eat, to give them the best place to sit. And I think about about Gaza and the West Bank right now. In, in my early years, I had a chance to, to live in Israel, and I remember traveling into Ramallah and the kind of hospitality that was shown to anyone, right? The meals that were, were put out, the tea services that were given. Right? That's just part of, of the culture that was, is there now, but it was, was there centuries ago in Jesus' day. And so we have this dilemma, right? A guest has arrived. There's nothing to give them what to do. There's no late, late night grocery store to access. There's no 7-Eleven in this parable. And so on the one hand, to deny this guest hospitality is unthinkable in their context. But in order to gather the supplies needed for a meal at this hour requires the person to do something you or I would probably find unthinkable, right? It, it, it requires going out into the neighborhood 
in the middle of the night and knocking on the neighbor's door. Can I have some bread? Can you lend me some, some tea? Can you, you have anything left over from dinner I could, could put out? A friend has come. In verse 8, Jesus says, imagine how uncomfortable this person must have been. Right? Imagine how shameless this friend would need to be in order to send themselves out at that hour. Right? It would take some, some chutzpah on behalf of this friend. But I think, you know, so we, we need to imagine the cultural context of this situation. I think something is also lost to us in verses 7 and 8. When Jesus says, imagine the reply given to this, this knocking neighbor. Jesus says, try to imagine, suppose this neighbor on whose door you're knocking answers, don't bother me, go away, no help here, right? Leave me alone. Jesus and his audience and his disciples, anyone who reads this is laughing with Jesus here because that is absurd. It's impossible that this action would be met with that reply. No one would turn away their neighbor if they came to them at midnight and asked for food. It just would not happen. This guy is going to get something from every neighbor he knocks on their door. It's a certainty. And Jesus says, if not on the grounds of, of kindness and friendship, then, then maybe on the grounds that this neighbor just wants to avoid the, the offense, the scandal of refusing hospitality that would, would sort of tarnish their name and their house if they did so. Or if not on those grounds, then at the very least, because this person at their door has risked embarrassing themselves in order to ask for this help. Jesus' point is, who would turn away a friend in a moment of such vulnerability when they asked for help and truly needed it? This, this story reminded me of uh, a moment years ago. I was teaching overseas, and I received a phone call on my cell phone at 2 or 3 a.m. I was laying next to my bed. And I picked up the phone, and I saw on the caller ID my friend Brian was calling me. Brian was a colleague of mine. We were teaching together. And he had recently been transferred to um, a school down near Hong Kong. He was in a different city, different part of the country. And I thought, oh, no, what's wrong? And I pick up the phone. I'm wondering what in the world is, is wrong. What's the emergency? And at first, as I picked up the phone and, and you know, clicked it on, all I could hear was this noise, this incredible like background. <laughs> And I thought, you know, what, what's going on? It just sounded like this wind blowing across the phone. And I said, is everything okay? And that's when I heard my friend Brian say, everything's great. I'm, I'm in the middle of a typhoon coming in off the South China Sea. It's awesome. And I just needed to tell somebody about it. And I thought, who can I call at 3 a.m. and they won't get really angry? And that's what I thought of you, Dave. And I still don't know if that's a compliment or what that says about our friendship. But the point is, I didn't hang up on my friend. I didn't say, oh, man, that's it. You know, go back to bed. Right? If my friend was shameless enough to call me at 3 a.m. and wake me up, 
Right? The least I could do was hang on the line for a few minutes to listen to a typhoon with him. Right? He asked, so I obliged. And it's, you know, I, I felt a little bit closer to Brian as a result of, <laughs> of that exchange. If I, if I understand Jesus' story correctly here, I think he is pushing us to take similar liberties in our prayer life. Right? Even if it makes us feel uncomfortable, even if we feel a little bit shameless, even if we're not sure, if we're not even quite confident yet what kind of reception we're going to get with God. Jesus says, come to God with your needs. Come to him with your desires. Whether it's a true emergency or whether it's just bringing up something that truly matters to you. Something that's been on your heart and your mind. Take the risk, Jesus is saying, of telling, of asking, of coming to God with it. And Jesus wants, wants I think, for us to evaluate what, what do we think will happen? Who do we think is on the other side of that door? Is the God who made us the kind of God who would hang up on us in the middle of the night if we called him? Is he the kind of God who would say, leave me alone. I don't want to mess with you. Or is he a God who is responsive to our asking? And the only way for us to find out, Jesus says, is to get used to, to practice knocking on his door. Verses 9 and 10, look at how Jesus continues. He says, so then I say to you, on, on the basis of this story, with that picture in mind, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, what are we supposed to learn about prayer from this late night door knocker. I think Jesus is unpacking that and, and he's, he's encouraging us to be active in prayer in this dimension of, of making our needs known to God, of telling him about them. Jesus is, is not trying to cultivate timid prayers. He doesn't want us to be too proud to ask God about what we need. We're not, we're not designed to be self-sufficient in prayer. In fact, quite the opposite. Where we have needs, Jesus wants us to imagine the resources of heaven that are made available. But, but maybe are waiting for those who would ask, who would bring their requests before God in prayer. Right, this, this week's chapter invites us to see this dimension of prayer, what we might call petitionary prayer, as, as a means by which God empowers us as his creatures. God doesn't want silent partners in creation. Right, that's not how he made us. He wants our active participation. He wants to give us a voice with him. Dallas Willard is quoted in the chapter this week. Uh, there's, a, there's a quote from a book called The Divine Conspiracy. And in that section, Dallas Willard says this. He says, 
God's response to our prayers is not a charade. Willard says he, he does not pretend that he's answering our prayer because he's only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference. Dallas Willard goes on and he says, if we, take, if we take the stories in the Bible seriously, if we survey the scriptures, what we see in them is a God who can be prevailed upon by those who faithfully stand before him. And there, there's a lot of mystery in that. I mean, this is an incredible statement. Dallas Willard was a professor of philosophy at USC. Right? He's, he's an intellectual. He's trying to understand all the rational bits of reality. But he says, somehow our prayers shape reality. If we believe the testimony of scripture, if we believe what Jesus teaches about it, we are being empowered in this way. Jesus wants us to be askers and seekers and knockers because he believes our Father in heaven wants to make us receivers and finders and the op openers of doors. And so that we would understand, you know, what, what he's driving at, Jesus gives us one last story or, or picture here about how asking and receiving is supposed to work. He, he brings it back to our own context. Verses 11 through 13. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, would give them a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This last picture, this last little section, ties together two, two parts, two verses in the Lord's Prayer. And put, sort of puts them in one, one place. Right? The idea that God is our heavenly Father that he cares about us, that he's approachable, and that we can ask that Father for our daily bread, for what we need. Jesus says, you know, think about your own situation. Think about your children, right? If anyone who's, who, who we interact with on a daily basis is not afraid to tell us what they want again and again and again and again, right? It's, it's children. They'll be very clear about what they want. But Jesus says, your, your children aren't afraid you're going to poison them when they ask you for something or, or harm them or endanger them. If that's the case, then why do we hesitate in asking our Heavenly Father about what we need or even what we want? Where along the way do we, we lose this confidence in asking? Jesus says, that's, that's not maturity, that's... That's falling away from something good. Right? Parents not only value hearing the needs that their children might have, more than that, quite often parents find pleasure in, in giving good gifts to their children. Right? I, I love it when I know Josie or Asher or Eliza has been asking about something they want or need for, for Christmas or for a birthday. And I, and I have that thing, right, in my closet or somewhere hidden away, and I'm waiting to give it to them. Right? Giving good gifts is one of the ways we express love. Jesus' encouragement here is that if we know this intuitively, 
if we know how to do asking and receiving with our earthly families, then what's keeping us from bringing that into our prayer lives? Right? I think Jesus is, is trying to just make it simple here. So this week I, I have another habit for us to try out, and that, that practice is outlined in the, the end of the chapter in your book this week. Uh, but the, the practice is simply asking for our daily bread. And you were given a note card, hopefully, that looks like this when you came in this morning. Last week, we talked about asking God for something in kind of a different dimension. We talked about intercession. And you were, you're given a picture of, of hands, right, releasing or bringing a need or a loved one that you're aware of, not necessarily your own, but someone you care deeply about, and putting them in the hands of Jesus, that he might bring healing or restoration or encouragement. Today, as we think about this practice of, of praying for daily bread or petitionary prayer, it's sort of an inverse idea. I don't want you so much to think about the, the the things out there that you need to bring to Jesus and release into his care. I want you to think about the things you need that, that you desire for Jesus to put in your hands. Right? Specific needs, specific desires you have. Things that as a child of God, you want to ask your father for. And so I want you to take a moment and, and think about what some of those are as you move into the week ahead. And, and maybe write them here on your, your daily bread card. As, as Tyler Staten says in our chapter this week, try asking vulnerably, but with enough specificity, with enough audacity, that God would have the chance to maybe disappoint you, but maybe also surprise you. Nothing risked is nothing gained. I want to give you a moment to do that. And while you're doing that, I want to invite our um, deacons to come forward as we receive our daily bread in another way from the Lord's table. <laughs>